Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. Hello, this is Tom Fox, and welcome to this episode where I'm joined by Mikhail Ryder-Gordon as we continue our exploration of all things Wirecard. Today, we take up a two-part exploration of the money laundering issues and allegations around Wirecard. It turns out that Wirecard had been laundering money for many, many years. That was only a part of their story. We start to tell that in this episode. I know you'll enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Mikhail Ryder Gordon for another episode in our continuing exploration of Wirecard. So first of all, Mikhail, welcome back. Always delighted to be back with you, Tom. So uh, for our listeners, we really kind of split the each podcast into two major components. The first one is uh, bringing you up to date on the facts of the case as they've evolved over the past week since our last recording. And then in the second half, we take a look at a subject matter uh, uh, related to Wirecard. Today, we begin an exploration of money laundering. But, Mikhail, could you bring us up to date on the evolving facts of Wirecard? Oh, yes, absolutely. And listen, Toad is behind the motor car on this one for Wirecard. So, um, not to let us down within the past three weeks, um, you know, every day, something new, new revelations. And what hitherto may have been thought of as improbabilities. Uh, So to recap, let's start with death and work our way down to blame games. Uh, Yesterday, um, well now actually a few days ago, uh, the Philippine Department of Justice announced that they were investigating the alleged death of Christopher Reinhard Bauer. Bauer is the owner alongside his wife, Belinda, who owned the Wirecard business partner, PayEasy Solutions, based out of Manila. And recall, PayEasy is at the heart of Wirecard's fraudulent outsourced operations in Asia. With some claim 291 million euros of revenue supposedly generated by PayEasy, turned out to be fake. Bauer and his wife were being investigated by several Philippine federal enforcement bodies, including the uh, country's National Bureau of Investigation. Well, Philippine authorities got wind of Bauer supposedly dying last week on July 27th. But apparently, there are, they aren't entirely convinced of the veracity of the report citing Bauer's death. Notice of Bauer's demise appeared in a regional newspaper in Hesse, Germany, and some Facebook posts of wife Belinda wearing a black ribbon on her sleeve. Authorities weren't convinced. German newspaper Bild on Sonntag uh, then subsequently went and found Bauer's mother, Anita Bauer, who lives in Einhausen, Germany, and interviewed her. Mother Bauer told the paper that Bauer died of natural causes after developing a boil. He supposedly sought treatment for the boil at a Manila hospital. It turned septic, and after several days in the ICU, he died. Now, the claim is Bauer's body was immediately cremated, and the ashes returned to Belinda in Manila. However, authorities have not yet confirmed that Bauer truly died. The MBI has ordered scads of documentation, everything from death certificate to the burial permit, which there wouldn't be as he was cremated, 
in an attempt to ascertain if Bauer, under investigation, really hasn't maybe tried to slip the authorities. Uh, so we may have yet another instance of a Wirecard exec sending out false information whilst they seek to evade. Stay tuned. Staying in the APAC region, Singaporean authorities charged a director of Citadel Corporate Services. Oh, again, this is one of Wirecard's Asian operations. This is their trustee company. And they charged um, R. Shan Margarantham, say that three times, with willful intent to defraud. He was charged with four counts of falsifying letters that claimed Citadel held amounts ranging from 30 million to 177 million euros in escrow accounts on behalf of Wirecard. Turned out they were completely spurious. So he's been charged. Meanwhile, Boffin, the German regulator who so utterly failed to provide oversight of Wirecard, and about which we have spoken of at length in this series, is back in the Wirecard news this week. They announced on Tuesday, August 4th, that they were now going to conduct an audit of Wirecard's accounts 2017 through 2019. Huh? The rationale is, and really, you cannot make this stuff up. FRAP, remember, that's our German industry self-regulating oversight body. FRAP has informed Boffin that Wirecard has refused to accept an error in the accounts FRAP identified and therefore refused to cooperate any further with FRAP. An error? Just one? Really? So what FREP is even doing in the mix when the German government has already terminated their contract to provide oversight of businesses' financial accounts is a mystery. Great question. But now we can all rest easy knowing that Boffin's on the job uh, auditing the past two years. As if it weren't sufficiently extraordinary, Boffin's also been flinging kitty litter everywhere. This week, the European Central Bank had to go on the defensive, saying it was all Boffin's fault for misclassifying Wirecard as a tech company rather than a financial holding company, which resulted in limiting its authority over it. Apparently, beleaguered Boffin president Felix Hoefeld has not enjoyed his parliamentary grillings of late and so told German MPs that, quote, all previous decisions about Wirecard were taken in consensus with the Bundesbank and the ECB. The ECB was not impressed with Hoefeld's attempts to place blame on their doorsteps, but neither were German MPs. It transpires that Mr. Hoefeld has been mm, economical with the truth regarding Boffin's contacts with Singaporean regulators regarding their inquiry into Wirecard. The MPs have suggested Hoefeld lied to them in recent parliamentary hearings. Hoefeld's response? He was, quote, merely imprecise. Things promise to get very interesting at the end of this month when the same Parliamentary Finance Committee will hold special hearings on Wirecard featuring representatives from the Chancellery, they who lobbied for Wirecard, the Justice Ministry, the Bundesbank, and Boffin. Harkening back to our discussion on short sellers in episode two, if I were taking a position on Mr. Huffield, I might short that stock. Has there been other fallout? Oh, yes, boys and girls. Speaking of fallout involving the banking sector, losses from Wirecard just keep piling up. Recall, last week, 
Tom and I discussed that it wasn't just about the 1.9 billion euros of revenue that never existed on Wirecard's books, but the additional 3.2 billion in vanished loan money. That oops moment of last week hit the bottom lines of several German and other European banks this week. Commerce Bank AG, ING, both admitted to losing approximately 175 million euros each. Or to put it another way, the equivalent of half their respective profits for the second quarter. Credit Agricole wasn't too far behind with losses from loans to Wirecard, hovering in the 110 million euro range. Credit Agricole, though seemingly peeved by this loss, demanded Wirecard return payments technology they were working on as part of a partnership with the fallen company. I don't know that clawing back some still-in-production code will go very far in compensating for loan losses. Some 15 banks that lent money to Wirecard totaling 1.75 billion euros discovered Wirecard had drawn down about 90% of that loan money. Affected? ABN AMRO, Landesbank Baden-Württemberg, Barclays, DZ Bank AG, and Lloyd's, all staring down losses of over 100 million euros each. Ouch! The FT reported that it had now seen documentation that evidences Wirecard outflows pouring out of the company after the early 2020 investigative story broke, and whilst KPMG was in there conducting its forensic audit. The bulk of the money was from these loans, and unsurprisingly, much of the funds went to three of the dodgiest Wirecard business partners, OCAP and Senjo in Singapore. We'll talk about them in another episode. Al Alam in Dubai, and Pay Easy in the Philippines. Remember what we just said about Bauer? Uh huh. Keep those names in your notebook because we'll, there'll be a test on them later. 15 banks pony up 1.7 billion. And no one thought to exercise some due diligence before lending? Really? Also out this week, more information about what former Wirecard COO Jan Marsalek was been up to in the years leading up to the fall of the House of Wirecard. Remember, he who is now nestled safely in the arms of the Russian GRU was apparently taking all of those regular trips to Russia to shop. Independent Russian news outlet, The Bell, managed to get hold of some of Marsalek's friends and acquaintances in Russia and broke the news this week that Marsalek had been traveling to Russia so consistently for the past decade because he was on the prowl for banks and or payment service companies in Russia that Wirecard could buy. One person interviewed told The Bell that Marsalek attempted to purchase a radio tech bank, a financial institution that belonged to Robert Moosen, now, Moosin was based in the Tartistan region uh, and was arrested in a massive billion-dollar fraud a couple of years ago. Sources went on to say that Wirecard may have been seeking a Russian bank, as in late 2017, Russia banned all transactions coded as originating from online gambling, or any gambling. Prior to that prohibition going into effect, Wirecard had served as the primary settlement bank for illegal online casinos and bookmakers in Russia. Hold that thought. So discussing Marsalek's search for Russian banks or payment services Wirecard could acquire, the Bell quoted an acquaintance of Marsalek who said, quote, the whole market understood that this, Wirecard, was a money laundering bank and that they were laundering money for casinos, gambling, and porn. 
Tom, do you remember those tacky license plate frames one used to see on certain vans here in the U.S. in the 1980s? Gas, sure. grass, or ass? Gas, grass, or ass? No one rides for free? I think it may be fair to say that this should have been Wirecard's corporate slogan. And so, with that thought, listeners, don your personal protective equipment and let's take a dive into the cesspool that was Wirecard's laundromat. So I have my PPE on and I am ready to go. <laughs> okay, we're diving in. So for those listeners unfamiliar with how money laundering works, let's do a really quick high-level run through the basics. Money laundering is what is known as a predicate crime. That is, another crime has to be committed first before the crime of money laundering can occur. It's relatively easy as crime goes because crimes that can lead to money laundering charges are myriad. Trafficking and anything illicit drugs, people, weapons, wildlife, etc., counterfeiting, fraud, embezzlement, tax evasion, pilfering state coffers, kidnapping, ransom, extortion, anything that generates revenue or income from an illicit act. Financial or white-collar crimes, as well as the dirtier ones, generate lots of money. Now, how to conceal that money from law enforcement? Right? All that money is derived from criminal activity, and if they knew that, they might seize it. So this is where laundering comes in. The goal take the dirty and run it through a succession of transactions and deals so that the monies reappear as legitimate income. The three steps of this process, and really there can be many iterations of said, are placement, layering, and integration. With profits from illicit activity, the first step is to get it into the legitimate financial system. But this must be accomplished by camouflaging its true origins. So the layering process begins by seeking to move it through a variety of vehicles. Ideal LLCs and trusts in black hole or offshore jurisdictions where beneficial ownership may be difficult to identify. Uh, perhaps tumble it through uh, commingled with legitimate cash from, or activities that are legal or where prohibitions go unenforced in certain jurisdictions, say, from online gambling and internet porn sites, and distance the money from its less salubrious origins. Sometimes this is disguised as payments for goods and services. And then the last step, integration. The monies are now in accounts in the legitimate financial system. A big shiny fintech bank, a wire card, will do nicely. And again, we can spend the proceeds right on property investments, business ventures, or use it to fund more crimes. Once it's integrated, essentially it has come out freshly clean and pressed it all appears to be the proceeds of legitimate activity. Now, transnational organized criminal organizations have grown in concert with the growth of cybercrime and the ease and speed with which money can be moved through multiple, multiple jurisdictions via online mechanisms, particularly these internet gambling, um, virtual currencies, etc. Threat finance is inextricably connected to money laundering and the world illicit money. That is, revenue that can be generated from legitimate borderline enterprises or outright criminal activities that is then funneled through accounts that are cloaked as to their true beneficiaries, but go on to sponsor or facilitate terrorist groups or procurement toward weapons of mass destruction. FATF and MoneyVal have identified terrorist organizations using the laundering of proceeds derived from hacking, stolen credit card activities through online gambling sites in order to meet their, quote, operational costs and sustained terrorist activities. 
evading sanctions in order to obtain cash in the global market to see a rise in online activities from countries, uh, state actors like North Korea and Iran. North Korea makes absurd amounts of money, not only from ransomware and hacking banks, but also from online gambling sites and cryptocurrencies. Online gambling through the recruitment of US-based players and the exploitation of the international banking infrastructure. Think wire transfers, money remittances, which involves laundering significant sums of money using websites and operating from offshore locations. Now, this is all going to sound familiar somewhat, and by the time we've completed this episode, you're going to see a pattern here. Recall last week, we, we talked about what a card not present means. Credit card transactions right, are heightened risks that these pose to merchants and banks, because when someone uses their credit card in an online transaction, it's electronic. The card isn't physically presented by the individual to a merchant. You can't see it. But so too, when genuine card details are stolen and then used to make a purchase via the internet, telephone, mail order, et cetera, the card isn't present. And there, the, the, the losses in, in many Western countries are in hundreds of millions up to billions of dollars every year. Most of this is committed via the internet. And these illegal process, proceeds generated through the use of these are laundered through a large number of online payment and financial institution accounts and subsequently then sent out via wire transfer to the criminals. You know, in 2006, FATF, and that's Financial Action Task Force, made a report on new payment models. It had listed four potential money laundering financial threat, uh, threat finance risk factors in respect to internet payment systems. Anonymous accounts, anonymous funding, and receipt of funds higher non-existent account funding limits, offshore service providers, which may not observe the laws in other jurisdictions. And related risk mitigants included uh, the ability to identify the account holder, maintain transaction records, identify payer and recipient, monitor the transactions, right? Standard stuff for AML in financial institutions. Now, why are we going back to 2006? Because 2006 marks an important year in the history of Wirecard and money laundering. In November 2005, an individual named Rudiger Troutman joined Wirecard as its COO. Now, Troutman would go on to incorporate numerous shell companies and particularly a Wirecard entity in the UK that went undisclosed for years. And this was known as Wirecard UK Limited, a hidden subsidiary of Wirecard that he incorporated in July of 2006. Now, Troutman was COO of Wirecard from 2005 through 2010, but he never really left Wirecard's orbit. He ran other related entities and Wirecard business partner companies, been heavily implicated in money laundering and fraud. And a little aside here, Wirecard and its COOs uh, have what we might be, I don't know, politely term issues, given that Troutman's successor was our poster boy of laundering and fraud, Jan Marsalek. Let's get back to 2006. Okay, it's January 1, 2006. Wirecard Bank AG, renamed from Excom Bank, and it came with an existing German banking license, is acquired by Wirecard AG. 
Now, recall, Wirecard offered a range of services and products. Wirecard Bank, however, was a member of Visa, MasterCard, and JCB International, as well as being licensed to conclude credit card acceptance contracts, otherwise known as being an acquirer or known as acquiring. And they were also licensed to issue cards, so they were also an issuer. But the bank side also offered its own cards, such as prepaid gift cards, prepaid cards and virtual cards under a variety of names, including prepaid trio, my card to go, et cetera, et cetera, for private customers. In addition to issuing and processing both physical and virtual cards, Wirecard also offered electronic payment transaction services, mobile payments, e-commerce, digitization, and claimed fintech. So Wirecard didn't just facilitate e-commerce. It actually offered a range of payment methods and processing. Some 17 different payment currencies and over 100 transaction types in 124 countries via many of its business partners and subsidiaries, many of which were concealed behind LLCs incorporated in black hole jurisdictions, or at least where the beneficial owners were veiled. So the means and methods by which to obscure the origins of vast sums of money moving through its systems, lacks controls from the very beginning, minimal compliance efforts, non-existent due diligence, and a stunning cross-border capacity made Wirecard ideal for masking operators of illegal or unauthorized transactions to receive and forward funds for laundering. Now, also in 2006, it's important to know the U.S. banned the payment processing of online gaming, gambling in particular. I'm not talking about video games. Remember, Wirecard in its very early years built its business on providing online gaming operators, internet porn sites, online trading sites, or shell companies acting on behalf of these entities with bank accounts for the purpose of not only carrying out these activities, much of which is banned in many jurisdictions, but for generating a lot of revenue. They facilitated laundering by allowing assets from these illegal sources to enter into the legitimate economy. Remember layering and integration? How did they do this? It's via credit and debit transactions and other e-payment mechanisms. Wirecard processes, or it did, for gambling sites such as Full Tilt Poker and Poker Stars, sports betting sites and porn sites, by the Wirecard groups. Click-to-pay uh, online payment tool is one example. In 2006, when online gambling is banned by the U.S., Braun goes on a tear buying up foreign processors around the world to build an international network of companies. Now, on the surface, this was to satisfy investors as a key pillar of Wirecard's hitherto legal earnings having vanished under these online uh, gambling prohibitions. Now, Wire FinCEN has tracked um, payment alternatives, and, and as FinCEN has tracked payment alternatives and the increase in cybercrime and laundering, it's, it's grown exponentially in concert with expanded sales options online via the role of third-party payment processors, sometimes called TPPP or TP3s, such as Wirecard. 
In laundering, particularly with respect to transnational organized crime, TP3s have exploded. They work for merchants to facilitate non-cash payments, and some facilitate fraud. Right? One indication, and we mentioned this the other week, is an unusually high rate of reverse transactions because of consumer complaints. Industry average return rate uh, for automatic clearinghouse transactions typically hovering in the one and a half, even less percent. Um, but some processors and merchants have return rates of up to 85%. So both FDIC and OCC issued guidance as far back as 2008 regarding the risk associated with banking TP3s. FinCEN would subsequently issue an advisory on the risk associated with TP3s in 2012. Now, if we look at other jurisdictions, like Germany, for example, this is where Wirecard and Wirecard Bank are licensed. It's useful to understand there that Germany also prohibits banks and TP3s from any involvement in payments in connection with illegal gambling. Just by virtue of facilitating payments of unlicensed internet gambling sites, be it from recoding the nature of the transactions or running it through offshore subsidiaries, Wirecard could have been on the hook and was ultimately for laundering. Now, the European Securities and Markets Authority also imposed a ban on illegal online trading sites that offered products to individuals termed private investors back in mid 20. 18. Several sites that ran investment scams ran their fraudulent proceeds through Wirecard accounts, and worse, were even owned by entities tied to Wirecard. As we'll see, in some instances, Wirecard former and current executives, they weren't just tied to this, they were the officers or owners of these dirty business partner companies. One can't really say they didn't know because they were the ones setting up the systems by which to launder. So let's put this all in context, and it's a lot of information to digest. According to Wirecard's own reporting, and we know now that maybe some of their figures were a tad exaggerated in one direction or the other, but let's take these particular figures at face value for the moment. In 2018, Wirecard claimed that only 6 to 10% of the payment transactions they handled were attributable to gambling, poker, casino, sports betting, and online porn, or they like to call it adult entertainment. Now, remember, ESMA's already, already imposed a ban. Germany has a ban. The U.S. has a ban. But they say, yes, yeah, 6 to 10% of our transactions are attributable to this online activity, this form of it. Now, Wirecard Group's total transaction volume that year, they claimed, was about 125 billion euros. 10% of that number would be nearly 12.5 billion euros. It's also helpful to know that when Wirecard processed payments for large legitimate companies like Aldi or KLM, London Transport, their profit margins were so minimal at times, they were negative. This is key. When Wirecard processed for non-criminal lawful companies, they lost money or at best broke even. The real money 
within banking and processing for illicit entities and individuals. Wirecard's success was built on crime. So we have to understand all the warning signs, particularly as they related to money laundering and dodgy deals. And again, we have to go back in time. In February 2009, the U.S. Secret Service arrested Michael Olafschut, a German national who had traveled to Florida in 2007 and formed hundreds of companies, largely shell companies, and some 40-plus bank accounts for each of these companies that he ran from his home in Naples, Florida. Between November 2007 and his arrest in February 2009, not a long period of time, Shute collected and transmitted some $70 million. The money came primarily from online gambling sites that Shute served as a conduit for in order to evade the U.S. prohibition on online gambling. Through Shute, U.S. and Canadian players could pay into and collect their winnings from online sites around the world. Shute funneled these monies through one of his companies, well, one of many, Blue Tool Limited, a U.K. incorporated shell company, And from there to one of his key bank accounts, this under Blue Tool, held at Wirecard. Now let's pause for a minute. We have the U.S. prohibition that's putting new pressure on Wirecard's revenues. We have a German national who has specifically set up shop in the U.S. to construct a means of evading online gambling rules. And he has established accounts at Wirecard. And we have one of his companies, Blue Tool, a shell corp in the U.K., Now, remember, we just mentioned uh, Troutman, the COO of Wirecard, and his clandestine setup of Wirecard subsidiary, Wirecard UK Limited. That UK entity was linked by the Secret Service to Shoot's Blue Tool entity and many other of these shell companies, which we'll get into later. Troutman incorporated the undisclosed Wirecard UK Limited that had stockholder, officer, and company secretary overlap with Blue Tool wiring the online gambling-related monies via Wirecard Bank back into the United States. Wirecard also had a consultant, and he was also former chairman of Wirecard's board, uh, Joachim Hochrein, apologies to him if I've butchered his name, who controlled an additional company that transferred monies to shoot, and his company's in Florida. Wirecard isn't just handling Shoot's illicit transfers. Its executives are actually helping form the shell companies through which money will be layered. Another one of Wirecard's payment service partners, EZV, also shared the same German address as one of Shoot's Florida-based receiving companies. Shoot moved more than $7 million through the Blue Tool Wirecard account alone. The website ultimatebet.com, for whom Shoot helped collect and distribute money, actually had on its website instructions to U.S.-based gamblers on how to fund and debit their UB accounts via Wirecard Bank AG. UB would wire via Wirecard Bank to Blue Tool Limited for check distributions. Shoot would receive the funds from Blue Tool via Wirecard Bank and then mail out the checks to the gamblers in the U.S. and Canada. Now, Shoot and the Blue Tool UK entity are just the tip of the iceberg. And we'll get back to the UK shell companies. But what happens to Shoot? 
Secret Service seizes his toys, his cars, his watches, his house, his cash. He pleads guilty to running an unlicensed money service business. Why the seemingly light sentence for having laundered $70 million? Documents in the federal case against Shute strongly suggest he cut a deal and agreed to cooperate with U.S. prosecutors and may have helped them build several other cases. Now, Blue Tool and the Thousand Shell companies formed and based in one tiny town called Consett in the north of England. And for those of you who don't know it well, it's around Durham. Our whole separate story that we'll get into in another episode. However, keep the wire card related entities Blue Tool, Blue May Enterprises Limited, BMIE, and Fermoya in the back of your mind. For now, just know that Blue May, not Blue Tool, Blue May, was also formed in the UK to serve as a front for illegal uh, online poker site 7red.com. Now, Blue May held entities, was held by entities for Moya and BMIE. Blue May only operated from 2010 to 2013, but in that time, according to UK bankruptcy filings, Blue May held 36 million euros in total credits in a Wirecard bank account. Now, Wirecard reported total customer deposits of 260 million euro. And Wirecard bank card solutions for Wirecard bank card solutions in the year 2013. Again, take any numbers from Wirecard with a large grain of salt. But this would suggest that Blue May's credits accounted for upwards of 14% of Wirecard Bank's total deposit base. Something's not adding up here. Blue Tool itself was formed through multiple layers. This is our uh, BMI and EMB with what the organizers called nominee directors. Honestly, there really isn't such a thing under English law. But these people listed as officers of these companies genuinely had nothing to do with them. They were just paid to be names on these shells in order to obscure the true beneficial owners and so that bank accounts in the UK could be established and money from around the world including porn sites run out of a number of countries in Africa and Latin, could get money in and out of the legitimate financial markets in the West. Parallel to all of this going on uh, in, in these years, this is to, still 2009, Israel would expose the Bank de Binary and related ICC Cal scams that would wind up with companies and individuals being prosecuted over a period of a decade. Actually, some of them are still going in Israel, the US, Australia, New Zealand, and elsewhere, with literally billions having been identified as derived from fraud. Now, remember that predicate crime rule going back to money laundering? One of the first things to become known in this investigation about bank to binary was one, it was really a Cyprus-based company, and two, bank to that company, Wirecard Bank AG. Now, in 2010, Wirecard goes again into growth mode, ostensibly by acquiring payment processors and more regional fintech companies around the world. Here was this regional payment processor based in the suburbs of Munich, suddenly putting itself out there as a major multinational. Now, that same year, Munich state prosecutor, 
have been contacted by the U.S. regulators regarding Wirecard's connection to money laundering linked to the Shoot case and the Offspring cases in the U.S., all to do with online gambling. Supposedly, the Munich prosecutors spent two years conducting an investigation and never found evidence of wrongdoing. At the same time, Baffin was also supposedly carrying out its own investigation, looking into links between illegal online gambling in the U.S. and Wirecard's bank. Now, according to Baffin's spokesperson, they said subsequent checks in 2011 revealed that any shortcomings it had found had been resolved. Hmm. In 2012, we see more convoluted relationships and ties to former and current Wirecard execs come to light. And really, we need visuals, we need link charts, we, 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 need, we need YouTube sessions, but we're, we're going to stick to podcasting. In 2012, the French AMF prohibit uh, any activity having to do with a site called 24option.com in France. Now, 24option was also a binary investment fraud scheme, and the site itself was held by a group called Rodeler Limited, licensed in Cyprus as a Cypriot investment firm with a branch office in Cologne, Germany. Banker of choice for Rodeler and 24option, Wirecard. In 2013, the Canadian Ontario Securities Commission would also issue a warning about Rodler and 24 Option, citing numerous fraud schemes. Now, Rodler operated not only 24 Option, but they operated 24FX, ZoneOptions.com, GrandOption.com, BinaryOption, Affiliate.com, so on and so forth. A few years later, the Italian regulator, CONSAB, would also issue warnings and suspend all domains associated with 24Option and its other brands running online. But Wirecard Bank continued to hold accounts for Rotolor Limited and another affiliated entity, uh, Richfield Capital. We'll come back to them later. Wirecard Solutions continue to process credit and debit card payments for 24Options long after all these regulators had either issued warnings or shut them down in their countries. There's an entire side of Wirecard's customer base that is involved in fraudulent Forex, crypto sites, and binary investment scams. Now, we're only mentioning these in passing here in the context of laundering for these fraud schemes. But in another episode, we'll explore how these online frauds work and just how closely tied they were to Wirecard entities. In 2014, Boffin and the Bavarian police opened another investigation into yet another binary option site accused of fraud, optiontrouble8.com. Now, the Austrians get involved in this one as well, with the Vienna Public Prosecutor's Office filing criminal charges against one of the beneficial owners, Uwe Lenhoff of Option 888. Now, where had some consumers complained when millions they had paid in disappeared? Well, they complained to Option 88's banker, Wirecard, that the parent company of Option 888 was Altair and, and Entertainment, registered in Curacao. And where did Altair Entertainment hold their accounts? Any guesses, Tom? Wirecard. Thank you were right. <laughs> now, by 2016, several key individuals all associated with Wirecard, and they've been either senior executives or head of one of Wirecard's business partners, 
were either under indictment or had already been convicted for money laundering. Now, these include uh, Detmar uh, Nokelman, former CEO of Wirecard Payment Solutions. He gets indicted for money laundering by the Israeli Attorney General for activities involving corporate fraud, principally online gambling, during the period when he was CEO of Wirecard Payment Solutions. And that was January 2008, December 2009. Now, Nokelman comes off as a bit of a thug in the indictment, as he was said to have employed, quote, illegal threats and economic pressure to gain control of a gaming company. Now, he stayed tied to Wirecard via a number of other entities, including the Full Tilt Group. They have online Full Tilt gambling sites, whose COO was convicted of money laundering. And we'll come back to Wirecard's nexus to more of those frauds. Now, remember we mentioned binary options or ICC Cal scandal in Israel and the continuing prosecution of individuals there. That's also connected. It has a, ne a nexus to Russia and Wirecard. So that's going to be a fascinating episode. So stay tuned for that one. Now, Wirecard's consultant and former chairman of the board, Hoken Hochrein, controlled two other companies, both of which were implicated in transferring illegal funds to shoot in Florida. Now, Hawkrein was chairman of the board of management to Wirecard partner Infogenie 102 until his move to become a consultant to Wirecard in September 2004. He was also previously general manager of EBS Global GmbH, which at one point in the early aughts was the parent of Wirecard. So Hawkrein also maintained a sideline in pornography and was very active during his disclosed tenure with Infogenie and Wirecard. He was on the supervisory board of German online payments business, Enterpayment AG. Now, Enterpayment was also involved in funneling money to shoot controlled entities on behalf of offshore gambling sites. Now, whilst Troutman officially left Wirecard in early 2010, and really the timing was extraordinary, just days before the unsealing of the shoot indictment by the Secret Service. He, however, continued to sign various Wirecard subsidiary filings for nearly a year after his so-called departure. In fact, he was still signing company filings for entities registered at the same location as Wirecard's UK and Irish offices, three years after his alleged departure from the company. Hmm. Troutman then went on to become an officer for another entity, Crores, Ireland, UK, US, and India, which just also happened to have the same address as Wirecard UK and Wirecard Ireland. Now, Crores was a prepaid card business that was sold to Wirecard. And it became the subject of a multi-jurisdiction money laundering investigation. So we'll come back to Coors on another episode. Meanwhile, Troutman had also previously set up with a colleague, Jörg Paul Suter, who was also a partner with Wirecard Managing Director of Communications, Michael Brinkman, a Perm AG. It's a lot of incestuous activity here. Well, Troutman and Suter had formed a Swiss company, Pert AG. They incorporate that in 2007. I'm telling you, Troutman was so busy. It's a wonder he had time to launder. 
A decade later, Pert and Souter will form the center of a money laundering and embezzlement case in Switzerland, driven by the Swiss AG's office there. Ultimately, what we arrive at is no fewer than seven wirecard executives, current and former, all of whom somehow touch on a current or past money laundering investigation or conviction. Alexander Herbst, former CFO, tied to Blue May, Formoya, and BMI laundering. Ralph Buchenholz, VP of Risk, Wirecard, VP of Risk for Wirecard Payment Solutions, he's tied to Coors as well. And some we haven't yet discussed. Mr. Nokelman, who really deserves an entire episode dedicated to him, convicted of laundering in Israel and tied to other frauds. Rudger Troutman, our past COO, and enough said about him. Michael Brinkman, current managing director of communications. Well, maybe current's the wrong word, given what's going on now with Wirecard. Recent MD of communication for Wirecard tied to Souter and the laundering case in Switzerland. Thorsten Holton, tied to some mysterious companies in the UK and Norway. Again, more on him later. And Hoken Hakrein, tied through multiple entities to Michael Schutt and the laundering via entities littered around the world. Now, also around this time, Wirecard is found to have hosted porn sites on its, and again, you cannot make this stuff up, its domain name server. Mm-hmm. Don't know how too many banks these days that typically register porn sites. Could be a new business line to consider. Not ruling it out for FIs, but unusual. Wire, also, Wirecard's Australia and South Pacific sales manager, Donald Moffat, he also was known to register a number of pornographic sites, scam sites, and an affiliated entity called Creole Enterprises, also based in Cyprus, tied to numerous porn sites and also serving as a conduit for moving money through Wirecard Bank on behalf of online illicit gambling sites. Anybody seeing a pattern here? So we move into 2017, 2018. More comes out. An online casino run out of Malta, which has been identified back in for having for years laundered money for the Nandrungeta. For our listeners not up on organized crime groups, this is one of the oldest and deadliest Italian mafia-style uh, transnational organized criminal organizations. Their primary businesses really arms and drug trafficking with ties to Latin American drug cartels, murder, extortion, you know, typically the light stuff. This online casino, Centurion Bet, which is run out of Malta, is incorporated in Malta, but actually owned by a Panamanian shell company. And it was used by Nandrangheta to launder millions of euros. Their license was revoked in, seven, in 2017. 68 people are arrested. 30 have since been convicted for mafia-related crimes linked to Centurion Bet, including the owner of Centurion Bet, and also tied to a larger sweep that took down betting shops and bars in Calabria as well. Centurion Bet had entered into a commercial relationship with a company controlled by members of one of the Nandrangheta clans, the Arenas. However, prior to that revocation, who was Centurion Bet's banker? Now, really, if you fail, listeners, to answer at this junction, you have to rewind and go back and listen to the episode all over again. That's right, folks. Wirecard. 
Now, recently, the FT got hold of documents and a chatty Italian law enforcement officer, and it was revealed that Wirecard was not only the banker for years to Centurion Bet, helping launder money for this mafia group, but to another Maltese-based gambling company also linked to money laundering for organized crime. Go team Wirecard, way to market. Apparently, in interviews with former Wirecard staffers, Wirecard's compliance group did carry out a form of due diligence uh, so uh, around Centurion Bet and this other online site. Despite reports of mafia links to the client casinos they were banking, Wirecard compliance gave the companies a pass because, Christ, you cannot make this stuff up, they were provided with assurances that all was above board. Well, it must be true, right? Why would criminals lie? Ah, this brings us to 2019, right? The noose is tightening around Wirecard. The Austrian Financial Market Authority issues an investor warning about a group called Handel FX, calling it a fraud system. Now, ongoing banker to Handel FX, Wirecard Bank, shell company parent of Handel FX, Fixu Media, had, as of late December 2019, nearly 2.5 million euros on deposit at Wirecard Bank. Now, criminal investigations are pending against the operators of Handle FX, and they, in turn, are tied to suspected investment scams involving Bank to Binary, which we already mentioned, Option Trouble Eight, but we mentioned them too, Algotex, uh, Beagle, Beelgo, Any Option, 24 Option, remember them, we just mentioned them, uh, in Europe, the US, and Israel. So some charges related to these binary scams have already been filed. What also came out in 2019, 18, 19, involving Wirecard as the bank of choice, in this case for human trafficking. Canadian online classified site Leo's List was linked by Toronto Police to four separate human trafficking investigations. In 2018, eight people were charged with multiple offenses for using Leo List for human trafficking, including forcing victims into the sex trade. Payment for the online ads claimed to seek women for platonic dating, escort work, female massages. But Leo List, which redirects to a domain registered in the Cocos Islands but refers to a company in Budapest, Hungary, had people posting ads and they People can post for free, but typically they pay about Canadian $3.75 with a site billing in euros. And there are millions of ads. Now, one sex worker who uses Leo List actually had posted a YouTube video, it's now come down, showing how payments were processed and how to set up payment to Leo List's bank accounts held where? Wirecard. And now we're in 2020. As Wirecard unspools, additional cases are coming to light. In March of this year, uh, the U.S. attorney in the Southern District unsealed an indictment against Ahmed Akhavan, known as Ray to his friends, and Ruben Weigand. Now, Mr. Weigand is another German national here in the U.S. Akhavan and uh, Weigand have been indicted for scheming to deceive U.S. banks and other financial institutions into processing in excess of $100 million in credit and debit card payments for, in this case, little off-piste, purchase and delivery of marijuana products. See? It's not all gambling and porn. 
Now, for anyone not keeping up, whilst cannabis products have been legalized in many states within the U.S., federal laws still prohibit the sale and distribution of said. As we discussed earlier, banks assign codes to transactions so they know what the nature of the payment should be. Certain codes are assigned to the illegal, illicit, and highly risky. Banks and card companies will typically refuse to process anything with those codes attached to them. Akhavan and, uh, and, and Weigen, knowing this, purposely concealed payments from their online marijuana marketplace companies, customers, by making them appear to be charges from phony online merchants and other non-MJ-related businesses. So, for instance, a customer ordering MJ products via OMMC might see on the credit card transaction a purchase appear for a music store, cosmetics, dog products, one faux site was called happypuppybox.com, and oddly, even stenographic services. OMMC relied upon TPPP, right, third-party payment processors, here we go again, to create offshore shell corporations and websites to open offshore merchant bank accounts. Now, any guess as to where some of those shell companies were located and what bank they were using? Any guess? That's right. Akhavan and Vigun tie back to shell companies in the UK established by those connected to Wirecard, including some of the porn sites, Apparently, Mr. Akhavan had a whole side line with hundreds of registered online porn sites. And the bank of choice for all of these? Say it with me. Wirecard. So what we have? A pattern of high money laundering risks, right? Offshore shell companies with no known beneficial owners. Daisy chains of lightly regulated uh, banks and loan loan enforcement jurisdictions, heavy dollar volumes derived from online gambling and porn sites, themselves high risk, fake websites facilitating money for human trafficking, Marsalik and his mercenary groups operating in the Near East, more on that later, illegal online gambling, cannabis and porn sites, as well as just, well, outright fake companies. We have fake transactions creating fictitious profits to drive up the stock price, and more than that, outright fake are the genuine but illicit, right? We also have the mechanism for laundering cash from the darker corners around the world. Traffickers, sanctions evaders, kleptocrats, and remember we have our Russian connection, laundering to avoid sanctions and pay for other unsavory activities like funding groups in Syria. We have extortion, illegal gambling, kidnapping, loan sharking, murder, etc., etc. It's extremely telling that Wirecard Bank AG frequently carried out transactions with countries which pose a high money laundering risk for Germany, such as Caracal, Cyprus, Malta. Don't forget, like we discussed last week, we also have FBME Bank in Cyprus with its ties to Wirecard and a MasterCard executive implicated in laundering for terrorist financing and organized crime. We now know that at least a third, and now likely what little profits made by Wirecard, all derive from these extremely risky and highly opaque structures and entities. Is or was Wirecard one of the largest and most formalized washing machines ever? 
McKinsey, the consultancy, is said to have warned Wirecard back in mid-2019 that its, quote, risks related to business partnerships or third parties uh, was one of the company's primary vulnerabilities. At a presentation to Wirecard's two boards, and go back to episode three about the multi-board structure, McKinsey warned Wirecard of, quote, non-existent, non-existent controls over its third-party businesses. But now it appears more and more that not only did the senior leadership and boards know about their dodgy business partners, they were actively complicit in their organization and operation. Risk, yes, but the risk was of getting caught. Here are the enforcement agencies we know have information on and have opened probes related to Wirecard and money laundering in particular. In the U.S., DOJ, multiple agencies, including FBI and no less than three U.S. attorney's offices, New York Southern District, Maryland, Florida, Secret Service, FinCEN, DHS's Threat and Illicit Finance Group. In Germany, Boffin, well, kind of, the Munich Federal Prosecutor's Office. In the U.K., the SFO, the FCA, and the lesser-known Department of Business Innovation and Skills, uh, who are tasked with elements of consumer protection. Austria's Federal Prosecutor's Office, the Philippines SBI and AMLEC, Mauritius and its AMLTF unit, Israel, its AG's office and Lahav 433, that's their elite federal police unit, Singapore's Monetary Authority and Federal Police, Ireland's Garda, Europol, and now in light of recent disclosures, possibly authorities in both Cyprus and Malta. Did we forget anyone? So... I think we'll close this episode on the Wirecard scandal with a a quote from the author, Bill Black, who said, the best way to steal a bank is to own one. Join us next week as we explore the various frauds Wirecard engaged in and how they relate back to this money laundering. I, for one, can't wait. Thank you again, Tom. As I said in the introduction... Mikhail, Ryder, Gordon, and myself are going to be taking a deep dive on the Wirecard case over the next several weeks. I hope you will join us again. This special podcast series will focus on the events uh, on the ground and each week, and then we're going to take a deep dive. Some of the topics we're going to cover include Germany, Inc., the regulatory response, what this means for the overall fintech and EU regulatory world, and a variety of other interesting angles to the Wirecard case. I hope you will stick with us throughout this series. I know you will find it incredibly enjoyable as this is one of the largest frauds uh, since the Enron Worldcon days and the largest accounting fraud in Germany since World War II. It's going to be a ton of fun. Thanks again for listening. Uh, please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that on iTunes. The series on Wirecard is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.